Hey friends, welcome back to the Black Diamond Podcast. This is your host, Eric Malzone. And this is the show where I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing entrepreneurs, founders, change makers, and people who are just creatively leading the way through innovation. And it's not only about successes and, and great stories, because you'll definitely get those, but it's also about the personal challenges and the vulnerability that we face along the way. So this show is brought to you by Level 5 Mentors, helping entrepreneurs and founders achieve the highest levels of freedom in five different categories, time, money, relationships, health, and purpose. And if you want to find out how you're doing in those five categories, we got you covered. We got a survey for that. Just go to level5mentors.com forward slash survey, and you can take the free entrepreneurial survey and see how you're doing in each category and see where you have room for improvement because, hey, we can always be improving. So welcome to the show. Let's get on to it. great to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, as I was telling you pre-recording, I'm, God, I, I get excited for all of my guests and everyone who comes on the show, but yours, um, you know, the conversation we're about to have, I think is so fascinating and timely. I mean, I have, so on this show and all the, the fitness related ones I've done in the past, I've always asked people, you know, what is, what is the thing that excites you most about the fitness and health industry as far as like what kind of technology or what kind of, you know, and everyone has different answers, you know, wearables and, um, you know, AI is always a common thing, right? When, sometimes yeah. when people ask that question back to me, uh, my general answer is, uh, actually, I think it's psychedelics, um, <laughs> because it's, it's, uh, huge potential. I'm not naive to them personally. Uh, and I'm just generally fascinated with all of the good that can come through it. And, and there's this conversation that it comes about, you know, with people, maybe I've talked to offline and, um, you know, it kind of turns into these hush hush conversations, which I think is so hopefully unnecessary soon. So anyway, I I'm fired up about this. I'm really excited to have you here. So let let's do this, Kelsey, if you can give everyone listening, just what your background is and how you became the founder and CEO of, uh, of MindCure. Yeah, sure. So happy to talk about psychedelics and also just want to, you know, welcome all the people who are listening who might be thinking, oh my gosh, psychedelics, like, is this some crazy hippie stuff? Um, because, you know, what we understand around psychedelia is really rooted in science. So if you came to this show, you're curious about scientifically backed understanding of what we can do around our bodies and minds, stick around uh, because we're not talking about, you know, staring at lava lamps like what people can infer about psychedelics. But I'll drop into who I am and 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 what I'm all about and how I came into the work. So I um, my come up was actually predominantly business focused. So I got my MBA, started civil construction real estate businesses, scaled those up, was twice named Canada's top female entrepreneur, um, and did you know what good MBAs do? Collected the gold coins and jumped the hoops and got to the mountaintop, thinking I'd feel whole. And I got there and I just felt hollow. And so I started investigating all types of therapies and all types of ways to connect to my body and improve my health. You know, because I know that oftentimes our mind is not that um, disconnected from our bodies. So started getting well, started getting fit, doing all the therapy and still my, my just brain wasn't coming online the way that I knew that it could. And so I started investigating psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. Uh, that was about five years ago and three years ago became a patient myself. And so I can speak from both this like 
patient perspective as well as from the business perspective and the and the research perspective um and so knowing what psychedelics was able to do for me um understanding what it's done for friends of mine uh, and also understanding what the future of psychedelics looks like and this great potential we have to change how we really connect with ourselves and other people and improve our health. Uh, I call it mental wealth. So it's not just getting to subsistence, but developing our minds like muscles. Um, and I thought there's no better time for a capitalist like me to do something than right now in psychedelics where you can do well and do good in equal proportion. So that's what led me to founding Mind Cure was just this like gener like germane interest. Um, psychedelics helped me retire out of my former businesses and I didn't need to work anymore necessarily. Uh, but it, it seemed like the worthy pursuit to come and lead a company in the psychedelics revolution and really develop something that's evidence-based and science-backed so people don't witness the advancement of psychedelics as something from the 60s, but really can recognize psychedelics as a form of medicine that can help us. So that's who I am and how I got here and, and kind of my origin bent. Um, and what Mind Cure does, I think, is, you know, the next question. Yeah. And really what we do is we have we have two primary focal points. One is technology, so developing um, digital therapeutics tool to help inform by virtue of wearables an AI-backed optimization tool for psychedelic therapy where the therapist can deploy the best therapies and the patients can get personalized care at scale that's quantified so that they're what we in this industry call integration after you had your psychedelic therapeutic training or uh, therapy experiences can bring that back into your real world and make it stick. And then on the flip side, doing novel research with psychedelic medicines. And, um, and we have a line of nootropics that are not psychedelics. So you're not going on any trips with them, but this idea of how do we help people support their mental health? Um, and so we have a line of organic nootropics to help them with that lines made in chaga and that kind of thing. So that's what mind cure does. That's what we're about. Yeah. I, I definitely want to dive a lot more into that as we kind of unfold this conversation, but I'm, you know, I've, I've, uh, Timothy Leary kind of brought a lot of this to the light back in the sixties. Right. And then yeah. the research got stopped. I mean, I also read, um, Michael Pollan's book, uh, how to change your mind. How to change your mind, yes. Uh, really good for people who haven't read that one yet and starting to understand. But what do you think is 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 fueling this resurgence of research um, and awareness of all of the the great things and positive things that psychedelics have um, have to offer? I mean, I think it's kind of three things. So one thing is like before we started taping this idea that when, when something in our human atmosphere gets so problematic, we can't help but address it. Like we wait until the final dying moment mm -hmm. when our world is on fire to be like, okay, now we'll have a look at that. And mental health in a, in a multiplicity of its forms, whether it's depression, ADHD, PTSD, anxiety, um, has reached a real fever pitch where it's starting to affect our systems, whether they're our capitalist systems, our community systems, our home systems, our personal systems. So that's one aspect. Um, and then the second piece is opiate addiction, which is a tremendous issue for a tremendous number of people. Yes. And 
And then there is this kind of third issue, which is just our connection to self um, has really gone by the wayside. And, and as a secondary result, we get a lot of other physical, physiological issues uh, that show up for individuals. So, you know, why now? I think that's one piece, lots of problems to be fixed. The second piece is, you know, and psychedelics people do not like to be compared or, or aligned with this notion of like, it's like the next cannabis, which I agree with, but thank heavens that cannabis went through because a lot of what we're doing in this space has uh, an impact uh, as a result of the cannabis people doing what they did in advance of us. Um, so, so there is a bit of that. And then the third piece is I think the people who are, you know, I'm going to generalize our age. So, you know, 35 plus um, have a kind of, we don't necessarily have that stigma of the sixties layered on us. of so this whole like era of um, drugs are bad and, you know, there's an absolution. And, and if you're one of those people, you're not good. I think we're more open to this idea of, well, tell me what the sign says. And based on that, I'll make my own judgment because we kind of have a more modernist, uh, sovereign individual approach to our health, right? We decide for ourselves. And, and I think it's the convergence of those three things that have allowed psychedelics an opportunity to take a moment in the sun. For those uh, who are probably asking, what what goes into the category of psychedelic? Mm. Great question. Well, there's a whole plethora of things. We can talk about the naturally occurring stuff. So most folks would know magic mushrooms. Uh, we call those, you know, that the active molecule is psilocin, which is a derivative of psilocybin. We have LSD. Um, we have ibogaine, which is a, a derivative or comes out of a plant from Africa called the aboga plant. We have 5-MeO-DMT, which some people will know as toad venom. Uh, we have uh, MDMA, um, you know, there's such a variety of psychedelic medicines and they do different things and they have a different properties. So taking psilocybin is very different than uh, say ketamine or MDMA, et cetera. So th these different molecules have, have, like I say, different properties and different things that people are using to research um, them for, uh, but for the most part, the next question tends to be what's legal and what's illegal. Cause there's a lot of movement happening in the States. So yeah. And um, which is tremendous. So, you know, I want to put a big asterisk around this for your listeners. Decriminalization is not the same thing as legalization. And I always want to make sure I say that before I get into this piece, because some people go, Oh, it's decriminalized. Great. I can go and buy some, you know, magic mushrooms. And if I got get caught, I'm going to be okay. The difference is it just means that they're unlikely um, to, to enact charges or prosecute. Uh, it doesn't necessarily make it legal. So we still have a ways to go, but in the States and a number of um, States like California, uh, Colorado, even in Florida, New York state, there's been a lot of movement on the psychedelics front. And most of those, Charges have been led by the very things that I was talking about before, these instances of depression, high suicidal suicide rates, opiate addiction, and psychedelics really proofing in the research to be a, a good option for people to move forward with with respect to treatment. 
Yeah, and it's it. I look at uh, God when I when I like bring it back to when I started the conversation here about why I think it's such a huge thing because for fitness and health, the you got to get your mind right. Like yes. I don't see too many people who are depressed saying, yeah, okay, you know, making, yes, would going into the gym or getting some exercise or talking to a health professional, would that make them feel better? 100% mostly, yes. right? But getting them there is really hard. And that's mm -hmm. where getting, you know, the mind right is, is, is critical. And that's why it's a fundamental piece of like, we can't help, you know, as a fitness professional, we can't help anybody who doesn't come to us, right? We can't, you know, uh, they That's have to right. be actively engage. So getting people to have a more active lifestyle, understanding um, the fundamental piece. And, you know, I, I'm still not 100% sure on what mind cure does. So maybe we can dive in that, that some more. So if I'm, yeah, if I'm Eric, right? Yeah. Um, how, what can I, what can I hope that mind cure could help me with? I'll give you a today, a tomorrow, and in the bright future. Perfect. So, so today uh, you can get nootropics. You can buy them from us. Um, again, we have clarity, focus, and immunity. We have three kind of varieties of nootropic formulations. Um, they're all organic, and they are again, non-psychedelic. So you're not going anywhere on any kind of psychedelic trip, but they are mushroom derivatives. Actually, they're they're grown in California um, and then processed and packaged up and come up to Canada and, and then shipped across the states. And I would say that, you know, for the a typical person, you know, I uh, drink a fair amount of coffee. I know that's not a popular statement, but the truth is I still do. <laughs> and um, but when I <laughs> when I am not drinking coffee and or even when I am and I'm looking for that, like, just that little, the 10% or 15% acuity to focus or to, to allow myself a little bit longer of a flow state. Um, I started buying these kind of things. My grandma was into, um, you know, Chinese medicine or naturopathic medicine when I was a kid in the eighties. And I kind of started down this path following her. Um, and so it wasn't uncommon for me to see these mushrooms and to understand what they did, but they only seem to be, you know, kind of coming up and coming out in major light over the last couple of years. So today we can help you with that. Um, in the near future, we can help you by virtue of the fact that we are starting to conduct some interesting research. So there are some things, because we're a publicly traded company, there's some things I can and can't share, uh, but I would say just, you know, stay tuned to what we're doing on the research side of things, we'll be looking for people to be a part of our research when we're advancing with psychedelics. And then in the in the distant future, you know, ideally we have centers of excellence where we're able to deploy our technology. Um, and some of our technology actually will be deployed into the states and some ketamine clinics in the coming year. Um, and 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 again, what that does is. You know, we're also used to, you probably have a whoop band or, or a ring or a, I don't know, insert thing here, Google watch monitoring everything you do every moment um, under the sun. And what we're looking at doing is developing what I call the quantified mind. So a way in which people can identify how their mind is functioning, help it perform at its best and start optimizing, <clears throat> pardon me, at that individual level. Uh, because to your point, if your mind's not right, you know, oftentimes you don't get the best out of anything. 
Um, I, I think about it, even watching our children, like when I know one of them in air quotes wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, I'm like, today, they're not going to ace that math test that I know they're totally capable of mm. uh, because their head's just not in the game, you know, and, and we're not dissimilar from that. And I think it's fascinating that we spent all this time and energy to quantify and optimize everything from the neck down without really giving enough weight to the connection between our mind and our body and how um, pivotal it is for, for full optimal performance. So that's what we're working on. Is it, uh, Kelsey, is it difficult to do the research? I mean, from, you know, uh, legality standpoint, like, Mm -hmm. do you, how how do you guys navigate those waters of, of doing this type of research? Yeah. I mean, for some folks who've been in the game for a long time, and I mean the psychedelics game, so like MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, led by a fellow named Rick Doblin, amazing collective of researchers and sciences who were scientists who were doing this research when it wasn't cool, you know, people who were um, breaking all the waves for us. They they had to to fight a real uphill battle. As it stands today in part because of the work that they did and in part because some of the work that happened over in the UK, there's enough of a body of science that for us to advance our research, although it takes time, like, I mean, it's scientific research, the uphill battle is not nearly as challenging. Um, People are open to the idea of psychedelics, but, you know, all caps, but they are only open to the idea of psychedelics in a clinical setting. It seems when we're talking about this kind of research. Um, and I think there's good reason for that. You know, uh, these are very powerful tools. And maybe some of us did them in college for a good time. But when we talk about psychedelic dosages to actually have material affects and long-term impact on these uh, indications, depression, anxiety, PTSD, et cetera, we're not talking about a small dose of any of these medicines. We're talking about the kind of dose that you really need a wingman, you know, who's well-trained and understands um, the places and spaces we're getting into because the, the experience of dissolving your ego and becoming potentially becoming one with the universe, you know, during these like extreme, um, what would I call them? Non-ordinary states is something different than what what most people think uh you know the psychedelic experience is about and uh, and it takes it takes training and a deep understanding of the science in order to shepherd someone through that process that's uh that's a really key point and i think you know i want to talk i want to talk about anecdotally because i have a good friend who's been in the fitness industry for a long time very successful entrepreneur, I won't say his name because a lot of people know who he is. Um, but he, you know, about two years ago, he called me and he was just really, he was a mentor to me and he calls me and he's very stressed out. He's very anxious. His, you know, the business isn't doing as well as he had hoped. They're, they're not growing anymore. And he was just, he lacked confidence. Um, he was anxious every day about it. And, you know, we had a series of calls probably every month we would just chat, would just check in and see how he's doing. And then one month, it had been a while and we reconnected and he sounded light. He sounded good. And I'm like, 
you know, Hey man, I have to say like, what is going on? And he said, well, I got a guide and I did a, um, heroic dose of psilocybin and my whole viewpoint on life changed. And now he's doing what he wants to be doing. He's back to high level coaching. Uh, he got a tattoo on his arm. I don't you know, know what that says, but, um, he was just shifted and it was such a drastic thing. And I asked him about his experience and, you know, the guide, I'm like, were you nervous? He's like, Oh, I was, he had never done any type of psychedelic before. And so anecdotally, that was such an amazing story to me. And I, I hear that. And, uh, you know, it just wants me to dive, wants me to dive into it more, but there's also a lot of people who are probably listening or people I know who I'm close to, who are very fearful, right. Of, what psychedelics may uncover in their psyche. Um, you know, the quote unquote bad trip, which I know happens, but what do you, how do you quell people's fears when it comes to, um, you know, experimenting or getting guidance with, with, uh, with psychedelics? Okay. So I'm going to start with the public service announcement piece, which is, uh, and I'm sorry if you just heard a dog, we got a puppy. Everybody needs a COVID puppy. Uh, so we got one. So my apologies. I can, I can control the children and all the other things in the background, but not necessarily this new dog. That's right. Puppies um, are welcome on this show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, the, the PSA on this is, again, this idea of like being with someone who knows what they're doing, because I think a large part of our anxiety um, stems from what's going to happen once I'm in, so to speak, like, who's going to be there, who's going to help me, how am I going to freak out, what happens if, like all of this. So in the same way that, you know, we have a designated driver to help us make our way home from the Christmas party, we should make sure that we have someone who knows what they're doing, who's our wingman in this process. And that can help to alleviate a lot of the in-session, you know, tension or, or anxiety. The other piece is, just as they say, when you go into something with an expectation, you usually get what you thought. And so this presumption that people go, oh, it's going to be bad. Like it may be because that's how you asked it to show up a little bit. So there is that piece that people in research have spent a lot of time really like diving into the science around set and setting. So what does the appropriate mood look like? The landscape, meaning your room, do you have uh, shades over your eyes? What kind of music are you listening to? There's a, there's deep and rich science around all of this that can help stave off the, you know, in air quotes, bad trip. Now that all notwithstanding um, you know, if I can take the agency to be a little bit blunt, sometimes the bad trip is what you need. Hmm. Uh, I had one. So like I said, I was a patient of psychedelic psychotherapy myself, and I've had lots of, you know, good trips. And what that to me means is there wasn't any crying. There wasn't any, you know, fear. There wasn't any moment where I was like, oh, geez, this, I could be done with this. You know, it was more illuminating. It was more clarifying. It was more connecting all of these, like what we would deem typically to be positive experiences. Um, but in fact, my most recent session, the one that I had uh, just a little over a year ago was not a good time. It was, uh, it was as much as I knew I was in control, like this will pass and there's someone here who's in charge of my safety and there was someone here to, who understands what's happening for me. Um, 
I got to re-witness some things that I wasn't particularly excited to be involved in. However, a month on the other side of that, I was able to have some some really well-considered conversations that I had been avoiding for most of my life. And in from that time period to today, the transformation in my ability to address some of the most challenging things in how I've come to be the adult that I am w- w- would have not been unlocked had I not endured that five hours of unpleasantness. I might have continued to endure the balance of my life with this kind of like, you know, just enough unpleasantness that I could manage it. And now I don't even have to worry about managing it. So there's purpose sometimes to that. So I, I suppose I maybe I'm not doing a great job of quelling the fears, but I am providing purpose to what's hard. You know, think about doing the extra rep. It's not a good time, but you know, it's worth it, you know? Totally. And I think, uh, you know, basically it's, it's the benefit of the thing sometimes comes with discomfort. I mean, that's like any growth in life, right? 100%. Uh, it's just like, okay, yeah. If you're going to avoid discomfort your whole life, have fun with that because you're not going to grow. Uh, and that's, that's right. Exactly. You know, I've, um, yeah. So how would you, this is a loaded question. How would okay, you, descri- yeah. How would you describe the psychedelic experience to those who are uninitiated? Cool. Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting. So you, so I'm going to throw you into the ring with me. We're both getting sure. in with the tigers. And so I'm going to describe my experience. I'm going to describe a lower dose experience, which would have been like a college type of experience. And then I'll describe my, uh, as you had phrase, phrased it, heroic dose experience. And then maybe you can tell me if that sounds like something that you've heard before. Sure. Because every experience is a little bit different, but there are some similarities. And so maybe we can pull out the similarities for people in a way that they can be like, oh, okay, well, that'll, you know, that's likely to happen for me. And some of this, maybe not so much. So in these lower dose situations, um, and, and I'll use psilocybin as a primary example, because I think that's one of the first that will come to market in the States and that people have access to. You know, there's like a little bit of low grade nausea, kind of like you sat in the back seat for a little bit too long in the family car. And then a little bit of an elevated spirit. So for my own self, very rarely did I get into like full on hallucinations, but my but my sense of like touch would be a little bit different. Like, you know, generally I would do this kind of thing in the woods. I grew up in, in British Columbia, so lots of nature and my sense of connectedness to um, the planet and to other people was a little bit elevated. And so I, w- I would best describe that experience as, you know, a few giggles, a few moments of like awe, you know, looking up at the stars and going, this is really quite a thing that we're riding on this blue marble in space, that's different. I think you're kind of these like altered perception moments, but nothing like, um, you know, uh, nothing, nothing untoward. I never did see a scorpion emerge out of my friend's face. Um, so that, so that's was kind of my lower dose. My higher dose experiences have been entirely more fulsome. So I'll share a little bit about my very first heroic dose psilocybin journey. And I remember having a little bit of attitude being like, man, I've done mushrooms before. I'm probably good. Not a problem. 
And when the dose came on to me, I can remember the therapist said, when you start to feel something, put your hand up and then we'll kind of get you outfitted with your, your mask and your headphones, what have you. And I, and like I say, I was a little bit cocky. And when it came on to me, I don't, I I shot my hand up. Like I knew, you know, I had the answer to the theory of relativity in physics. Like I was like, Oh my gosh, (laughs) this is real. This is happening. And it was predominantly this experience of um, like geodidic shapes, color, some in black and white, and this real like kind of overcoming of my senses, which, you know, as soon as I got the music onboarded, I started to go into an entirely different experience guided by the music where I started actually to go kind of on this journey, almost as though I was flying um, to places in my growing up years that I felt tremendously connected to. So it was kind of this like coming home to self. And then in the middle, there was a part where I saw my, I don't know, maybe I was eight or 10, somewhere in that age, probably younger than 10 to eight. And I looked myself in the eye. And even now it's hard to talk about because it was the, the most clarifying connecting moment of understanding myself and, and seeing what is, you know, what is, and I, and I hate to almost use this word, but not my purpose in this like kind of tangible way, like what's my job or what do I do, but my purpose for being and what lights me up, like from where I get my energy and my source and the thing that I bring into the world. And when I came out of that journey, I was never more decisive, productive, clear, et cetera, in my businesses and my life as I ever, sounds kind of similar to your friend's experience. But so coming out of it though, I remember at the end, I thought I was, you know, down or back or whatever we're going to call it. And then about it, it, you know, so I made a phone call like, yeah, everything's good. And this and that. And then two hours later, looking back on that phone call being like, Oh no, I was still pretty out there. <laughs> so, so the coming down took a lot longer on the heroic dose than I had been accustomed to in other, in other experiences. But for the most part, um, I was entirely free and able to engage fully in whatever was coming up for me in a way that was really there was no fear. It was just a lot of wholehearted, truthful recognition. So that that's kind of what my experience has been like. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, so, I mean, I've heard it described in so many ways, but I think the way you did it by just walking someone through the whole experience is probably the best way. I mean, you can give analogies. I think, um, I just started listening to Joe Rogan's interview with the, the founder of maps, yeah. <clears throat> just yesterday, actually. And uh, I didn't get through it, but you know, <laughs> ways that uh, Joe Rogan puts to it is like, you know, you think about when you do these type of experiences, you know, of a substantial dose, you're kind of putting all of your stuff into a file folder, like all my old shit, right? <laughs> and, totally. then, and then it's your, it's your choice of what you do with that file folder, right? You can open it up again and just let it back out, or you can do something with it. I thought that was a pretty good way of describing it to people. Um, you know, I think probably the biggest question that most people have is, okay, cool. I'm in, right. Yeah. Uh, 
but what now? Like where that's the, and that's the challenge, right? It's like, well, where do we find someone who, you know, could guide you through, yeah. um, where do you source the actual, uh, you know, psychedelic of choice? Like, uh-huh. obviously we can't, I know you can't talk about that here, but is there certain things that you can tell people or suggest people to do uh-huh. or things like that that are within, you know, the scope of reason? Yeah, hundred percent. I like your phrase, scope of reason. So we're mm-hmm. not going to talk about doing anything illegal, um, but we are going to talk about what you can do today. So in the United States and in Canada, there's a drug called ketamine. It is what was formerly and is most often used as um, is anesthesia. And it does have psychedelic properties. So for people who are suffering from suicidal ideation, ketamine can be a really purposeful pursuit. Uh, so people who are suffering from depression, suicidal ideation, uh, you know, investigate ketamine. There probably is a ketamine clinic somewhere near you that can help you. So that's today. Um, there are a number of studies going on. So MAPS, uh, Rick Doblin, you can look up MAPS psychedelics and they'll, you know, the Google will take you there. They're doing a lot of research. There's a number of psychedelics companies that are onboarding patients. Again, if you suffer for, from PTSD, anxiety, uh, depression, there's a variety of indications. Um, just have a look around because you could be involved in a clinical trial and so if you're looking for some relief before these things make it all the way through um, phase three and into being FDA approved, there's opportunities for you there. And you can travel outside the country. So if you're interested in going on a holiday to do this kind of work, there's plenty of places in South America, do your homework, you know, lots of do your homework around that message because there are better and, and, um, worser locations that really hold the the client's um, experience up to light. You can go over to Denmark. Uh, there's places in Amsterdam that do psilocybin juries, Jamaica, uh, similarly. So there's a lot of locations, again, depending on the molecule, I would say. Um, but if, if, if we could just take a second to actually, I probably didn't do as good a job as I could have earlier to help people think about what might be the first thing I would try right? Like these things are a bit like a ladder. So ketamine is, you know, a pretty good place to start or psilocybin is a pretty good place to start. Um, You know, when we get into MDMA and LSD, those are, you know, pretty good places to go um, next. If you're, you know, some of these medicines in their natural state, like the way that you would get them in early days of research, are pretty powerful, like 5-MeO-DMT, which is toad venom, it's next level, you know, Ibogaine, next level. Some of these molecules are tremendously powerful. So, you you know, you really want to be mindful about who you choose to be your provider. Um, Kelsey, is, is Ibogaine, is that the same as ayahuasca? Mm. Or is that different? no? Yeah, I didn't even mention ayahuasca. So ayahuasca is up there too. It's not all the way at the top, but it's you know once you're in, you're pretty well. You're pretty in. Yeah. And uh, ayahuasca is yeah. They pour ayahuasca oftentimes in South America. You hear oftentimes about people traveling to do ayahuasca. Um, so that is that's an option too. If people are curious, there's a show. So there's a fellow on our advisory board. His name's Hamilton Morris. He has a show on Vice called Hamilton's Pharmacopia. And 
he's teamed up with a chemist. So they, they're kind of, I always call him like, he's like the Anthony Bourdain of psychedelics. So he travels around the world and exposes himself and then it helps you understand the chemistry and a little bit of the science behind a lot of these psychoactive substances. But he has some great episodes. Like his Ibogaine episode is really, I'd say amazing because it, um, it gives a history of it because a lot of these medicines are really culturally rooted, right? They, they go back tens of thousands of years. So the Ibogaine one is interesting. The ayahuasca one, similarly, tremendously interesting because he starts from the root. Like, why did cultures do these rituals for years, decades, decades, decades? And what is it that they kind of knew that modern, you know, modern man and woman threw out the door because it wasn't science-backed? And then all of a sudden we're kind of coming back to it being, oh, maybe... Maybe you were onto something there for the hundreds of years that you did that. Um, and we're just catching up with the side. So for any of your listeners who are curious about the different, you know, the different drugs and what the different impacts have and, and to kind of get a sense of it, that's a, that's an interesting voyeuristic way to look at psychedelic medicine. What, what was the, what was the name of the, the show that you recommended? It's called Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. Okay. okay. It's on Vice. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'll go check it out for sure. Um, I mean, there's so much where if I'm trying to think of the right way to ask this question, 10 years from now, I just want to put a scope on it. Right. If everything goes the way that you think it can, yeah. what is the impact that you think this, what does it look like? How, how many people are experiencing, um, utilizing psychedelics? What is, what does the landscape look like? What, what's your, what's your vision here? Cool. So I'm going to. I'm going on a, I'm pausing because there's some trepidation around how I frame this, but I'm just going to mm-hmm. go a whole, whole hog on it, which is the, the way that we're going to get these drugs into the hands of people who need it in the, in the shortest period of time. So the people who are in the most pain, they should be at the front of the line. That's going to take a few years. But if we help people um, who are suffering from all of these things, depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction. And we, and we, and I'm talking about when I'm talking about addiction, I'm talking about cure rates of 74% for opiate addiction right now, best in class wow. care is getting like 14 to 17%. So when we're talking about these shifts, we're talking about huge transformative experiences that absolutely change things. So if we do the first round of this has to be science backed and evidence based for the most you know painful societal indications that everybody can get behind and say absolutely we need to solve for that but here's where i get a little bit i think it gets interesting in that what we know anecdotally and, and what we've seen say, in silicon valley with all the guys and gals who've been microdosing and what what i know from some performance arenas that i'm in is that there are a tremendous number of people who understand that psychedelics unlocks performance. And I think that 10 years from now, once we've started, you know, the groundswell of addressing all of these other really painful situations for folks, we're going to start to see the normalization of the use of psychedelics for performance enhancement, um, for helping people identify and connect with self and other in a way that they are more definitive, clear, uh, where they can execute quicker, better, faster. It's like, 
It's just like, what was that? Like it powered by Intel and there was like the number three chip. And then we just like insert the number five chip. And um, that's my prediction. And I know it's a bit out there, but I, but I do see these people who guinea pig themselves a lot to be at the front of performance. And they're consistently accessing psychedelic medicine for that reason. I think you're definitely onto something. I mean, there's a whole subculture that's evolving right now and it's not even that sub anymore. Right. I mean, it's like, right? uh, you know, I'll, I'll do interviews like this or I'll be on someone else's podcast and, you know, maybe it comes up during the interview and in a light touch. And then after the interview when recording's over, it's like, hit, hit me up on signal. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, which people don't know is a, uh, it's, you know, it's a, uh, what is it? A texting like app that's yeah. well secured, right? Super um, secure. So it's, it's, uh, there's a whole culture divide. And I think a lot of people, I think you're right. Once people start to look at it as like, Hey, this can be a performance enhancer, right. For mm. life. And, you know, once that starts to catch on and it already has, I mean, the Silicon Valley, you said has been, you know, big fan, uh, big fans over there in the Silicon Valley, <laughs> you know, they, um, they're starting to catch in, you know, everybody's looking for that little, edge right and what's funny about psychedelics is maybe you get into it because your ego wants the edge but then mm. once you're in it you kind of realize what edge like yes. yeah i know that's <laughs> oh i love it <laughs> like, well i mean I, I think this is the thing and what's interesting to me too is you know um in full disclosure like i have come up in a time where i've been exposed to all sorts of drugs and all sorts of folks who are just trying to get the extra 10 percent and so, you know, there's a there's a number of a statistically significant collective of people I know who got into doing cocaine, mm. um, you know, did the like 10% more, 10% more performance route and then arrived at a place where nothing really cut up. And I look at that experience where those that that fervent need for more and better just drove them into this like chase that you can never you never win that. Whereas psychedelics actually, interestingly, drives people ultimately away from the continued use um, because the performance and acuity, you get to this kind of higher level of operating that unless it's a microdose level that's like subperceptual, meaning you do, you know, you're not on any kind of trip, people, people aren't like, hey, sign me up for another five hour you know, psychedelic journey where I don't know what's going to happen and it could go either way. Like, that's not it. People do that for the big experience and to really heal. And beyond that, this, this, this idea of the performance dose, um, it's, it's chemically not addictive and biologically, physiologically not addictive. And interestingly, doesn't become habitual. So I find there's something fascinating there that the science is yet to proof. Um, but I've never seen someone on a, you know, a trip away where they accidentally forgot to pack their microdose, start to freak out and be like, you know, Hey man, we got to find someone. <laughs> they don't do that. They're like, Oh, I'll pick up when I get home, you know, yeah, not a big yeah. deal. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting. It's and really promising. If people want to classify it into recreational drugs like cocaine or marijuana or whatever it may be, which, you know, I know in many cases are not recreational. They're, you know, for a specific reason. Um, 
but it's true. You know, I've so many times people said, well, you know, I just know myself and I've got addictive. I don't want to get into psychedelics. I'm like, well, I got this, that's, it's not it. You're missing it. It's yeah. not, that's not what it happens really. And, um, yeah, well, I, I want to respect your time. I can ask you questions all day. Uh, <laughs> well, this has been lots of fun, man. And really, and truly, if there are more questions or your listeners have questions and they want to send them over, like happy to, uh, happy to do a short and, or, or just even respond in a way that, that can honor people's curiosity, because I know it's a really compelling subject and I, and I understand that people are curious and, um, you know, my part in leading this organization is like, I never thought I'd be the CEO of a publicly traded psychedelics company. Who knew that would ever happen? <laughs> right? Yeah. And here you are. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too. I mean, this definitely doesn't fall into the normal classifications of the interviews that I do. Uh, but when the opportunity presented itself, I was like, you know, like, who cares if it falls into a category? It's just really interesting. It's something that people want to know about. Um, you know, whenever I've kind of diverged off a normal path in this podcast, one, you know, I think two of my all-time most downloaded episodes, uh, two out of the top four are cannabis related, right? Um, not anything to do with like how to write a program or fitness technology or lifestyle entrepreneurship. It's about those things and people are really dying to, to learn about it. So it's been great having you. If, if people do want to ask you more questions, Kelsey, or they want to, you know, yeah. Where, where do you send people online? Give us that. Yeah, hundred percent. So they can find me at Kelsey Ramsden um, or, you know, send something to at mind cure. So uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram. I am on LinkedIn. I, I am all the places that people show up aside from Facebook. I don't really show up there very often, but, um, but you can check us out in those locations. And if you want to check out our work, you can go to mindcure.com or mindcurewellness.com and and, um, you know, say, say you heard me on this show and I'll make the team, I'll let the team know, funnel the people. I will, uh, I will be in touch and respond to whatever questions you might have. Very cool. Well, Kelsey, thank you so much for spending some time with me today and, uh, answering all of my questions with fervor. Um, you didn't back away from anything. It was great. Um, so yeah, really appreciate your time. It's great. Um, people should definitely go check out mind here, get to know what they're doing and, uh, overall start asking more questions, you know, don't be yeah. afraid of asking those questions. I think that's the most important thing. So ladies and gentlemen, Kelsey Ramsden. Thanks, Eric. Hey everybody, this is your host, Eric Malzone. Don't leave yet. I have a few more requests for you. So if you got value out of this podcast, I ask you to do a few things. Number one, go to wherever you're listening, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and go ahead and subscribe to the show. Number two, while you're there, if you feel that we earned it, please leave us a nice review. Number three, share it. Whether it be social media, email, texting, whatever it may be. I'm sure you know somebody who would get value out of this episode just like you did. So please go ahead and share it. And that's how we get the word out. So it's really valuable and super appreciative. It only takes a minute of your time. Next, if you know of somebody, including yourself, who would be a great guest for the show, please head on over to level5mentors.com, L-E-V-E-L, the number five, mentors.com. Get in touch with me. Let me know what you're thinking. Uh, make an introduction. Whatever it may be, you can also get me directly in my email, which is eric, E-R-I-C, at level5mentors.com. Lastly, if you just want to chat, 
you want to find out more, if you want to expand on some ideas, I love hearing from the audience. So go ahead and hit me up on social media. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. You also have my email already. So I love to hear from you. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show and I'm always looking to have great conversations. So don't hesitate to reach out. And once again, thank you for listening to the Black Diamond Podcast and you can expect a lot more from us.